Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. good at it. Mulligans, I, I take a few of those every time. And I enjoy watching it too. And uh, sometimes my family, they all scatter when I'm watching golf on television. And so this story about Paul Azinger really struck me when I saw it. When professional golfer Paul Azinger was 33 years old, he had just won a PGA championship and had 10 tournament victories to his credit. But he was also diagnosed with cancer at that time. He wrote, A genuine feeling of fear came over me. I could die from cancer. Then another reality hit me, even harder. I'm going to die eventually anyway, whether from cancer or something else. It's just a question of when. Everything I had accomplished in golf suddenly became meaningless to me. All I wanted to do was live. Then Larry Moody, who was teaching a Bible study on the tour and was aware of the anxiety that Azinger was experiencing, Larry Moody said to Paul, Zinger, we're not in the land of the living going to the land of the dying. We're in the land of the dying going to the land of the living. That one comment changed Zinger's attitude toward his cancer, he said, He went through chemotherapy, recovered from his cancer, and returned to the PGA Tour. He's done pretty well. But that bout with cancer changed him, he said. He once wrote, I've made a lot of money since I've been on the tour and I've won a lot of tournaments. But that happiness is always temporary. The only way you will ever have true contentment is in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying, he said, that nothing ever bothers me and I don't have problems, but I have found the answer, he said, to the six-foot hole. We can't escape the reality of death. It is a power against which we are all helpless. We can't stop it. We can't buy our way out of it. We may stave it off for a while through medicine and the best doctors and the best treatments and even a healthy lifestyle. But sooner or later, death will come calling for each of us. Knowing this is true, it begs the question, are you ready to die? Do you know where you are going when you die? Christ is the one we must turn to and trust, to have the certainty of hope beyond the grave. He is the answer to the six-foot hole. Death, as described in Scripture, is an enemy, and only Christ and give us the victory. And the Bible says that just believing that he, that Christ died for our sins and rose again, we have victory over sin and death through Christ, and we have the sure hope of heaven and eternal life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 5 through 8 read, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that 
whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. John Cook said, Pillow my head on no guesses when I die. Paul speaks of the believer's future here in the strongest possible terms. He says we know, we are always confident, and we are confident. He doesn't say we think, we're we're pretty sure, it's looking good, and it looks likely. Guesses are no comfort at all. We need assurance about death, and God's Word gives us that assurance. Thomas Brooks, an English Puritan preacher and author in the 1600s, wrote, Death is another Moses. It delivers believers out of bondage and from making bricks in Egypt. Remember this, death does in a moment which no graces, no duties could do for a man all his lifetime. Death frees us, frees a person from diseases, corruptions, temptations. Every prayer then shall have its answer. All hungering and thirsting shall be filled and satisfied. Every sigh, groan, and tear that has fallen from the saints' eyes shall then be recompensed. That is not death, but life which joins the dying man to Christ. Paul says in verse 5, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God. Or, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Now, the context of that verse that Paul had been talking about is the believer's eternal, glorified, resurrected body. Glorification is all God's doing. He that wrought us for this thing is God. God wrought. God prepared us for this very thing, this purpose, to spend eternity with Him in a glorified body. God has a higher purpose for each of us, an eternal purpose. It is God's purpose that we be glorified with Christ with a body fashioned like unto Christ's resurrected body. He has wrought us for eternal glory to come. This will be the climax, the apex of His glorious purposes for us. All of us belongs to God when you trust Christ as your personal Savior. Body, soul, and spirit at that time. Uh, belong to God. At the present time, our spirit and soul are redeemed. But then at the rapture of the church, redemption includes this body as well. God made us with this goal in view, the glorified state residing in a resurrected glorified body eternally in the heavenlies with him. Here Paul looks at the ultimate purpose for which he exists. It transcends time. It's from eternity to eternity, planned in eternity past, fulfilled in eternity future, and time is just a blip in the middle. The next existence fulfills God's purpose for our lives. God's purpose and plan was that believers in the body of Christ dwell with Him eternally in a glorified state, eternal in the heavens. That is our hope. For the body of Christ. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 5, Who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. The assurance of all of this is the earnest of the Spirit. 
Ernest speaks of a down payment, a pledge, a guarantee. The fact that every single believer possesses the indwelling Spirit of God is a pledge that all God's promises to the believer will be fulfilled. The indwelling of the Spirit is the down payment of God's future for us, a continual reminder of the certainty of our future and of the promises of God made for us. He is, the Spirit is the guarantee that we're going to be glorified. We will receive a resurrected, glorified body. The purpose of God is fixed, and it's, a, it's guaranteed. And He gives us the Spirit as a pledge for it all. Our whole person is and will be redeemed, spirit, soul, and body. When God starts something, God finishes it. He brings it, brings it to its end. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The fact that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that every believer possesses the Holy Spirit, he is the guarantee that we are glory bound. The Holy Spirit is given to show that God is absolutely going to redeem his own purchased possession and bring us to glory. Glorify these bodies and forever we're going to be testimonies to God's grace and God's faithfulness to his word. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 6 says, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Paul says, Therefore, with all of this background of truth for a foundation, and then he says, we are always confident because you have the indwelling Holy Spirit and we have God's absolute faithfulness to his word that he will fulfill everything he's promised to us. We are always confident. We can live with confidence always about our future, about our eternity, about our glorification. We are going to heaven. We are getting a glorified body. We have eternal life. We are confident in always confident. We are confident because God promises it in his word. And you see here that Paul's confidence wasn't an up and down thing coming and going. It wasn't a temporary feeling or a passing emotion for Paul. It was a permanent state of mind of faith. We, have, we can have that settled confidence about our eternal hope, confidently anticipating its fulfillment. Life is a race to run, it's a battle to fight, and it's a stewardship to honor God with. And when the race is finished, the battle is over, and the stewardship is discharged, then the victory, then the triumph, then the glory, then eternity with our Lord. Currently, we are at home in the body, and we are absent from the Lord. This was not the ideal state for Paul, but he was willing that it should be so if he could serve Christ down here and be a help to other people. As Paul says in Philippians 1, 23-25, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you, for your furtherance and joy of faith. You see, Paul had a case of heavenly homesickness. He wanted to be home with the Lord. While we're in the physical, in the flesh, in the world, we're away 
from the Lord and His immediate presence. We are absent from the Lord. But Paul's not saying that we don't have contact. We are in communion in our relationship with our Lord through prayer and by His Word. And He's with us. He lives in us. We are in communion with Him in these ways. But there is a sense, obviously, in which we are separated from the Lord, with Him in heaven, at the right hand of God, and us in this world. And one day that separation is going to end. At this point, Paul adds in verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. This explains how we can live and serve an invisible God. This explains how we can hope for an invisible place. How we can know one day we will receive a new body, a body we cannot see. We do it by faith. We believe, we trust, and we walk and we live by that belief. It's not a belief in nothing. It's a belief in the Word of God that teaches us all of this. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is not a leap in the dark. It's based on the revelation of God. It's based on the surest evidence in the universe, the Word of God. We believe in the Word of God that tells us about heaven. We believe in the Word of God that tells us about our glorified body. We live by faith, faith in the Word of God. Faith is not wishing something to be true. It is taking God at His word and knowing that it is true. Seeing is believing is not the motto we live by. We believe in what we do not see. We see these things only with the eye of faith. We face then our deaths and we bank our eternal destiny on the word of God by faith. And we can do so being always confident because God is faithful. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Grieving with Hope, A Personal Journey Through Grief is a 38-page booklet written by Pastor Kevin J. Sadler. Pastor Kevin Sadler offers practical advice and observations based on his journey through grief. The booklet contains sermons he gave in the weeks after his father went home to be with the Lord. In those trying days, he was encouraged and strengthened by the Word, which he now shares in booklet form so that others may be comforted by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. To order your copy, Contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750. Or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. There was a little girl who walked to her house through the cemetery every day after school, and it never bothered her. 
she'd skip happily through it sometimes. Other times she'd stop and listen to the birds singing in the trees. There'd be times when she'd kneel down and read the names and dates on the tombstones. One day her friends asked her, why do you walk through the cemetery every day? And she answered, because it's the way home. Death is the way home for the believer. This or the rapture. In 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. In verse 6, the phrase, whilst we are at home, is the same Greek word for the words translated as to be present in verse 8. So verse 8 literally is saying he's willing rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Being in heaven, in the presence of our Lord, is to be at home. And Paul, again, back in Philippians 1.23, said that to be with Christ is far better. Paul says that to be with Christ isn't just better, but better by very far is the idea. To Paul, going to heaven to be with Christ is better by far than staying on the earth. What makes heaven a far better place is that it is to be at home with the Lord. It is then that our faith will be sight forever and we will see our Lord with our own eyes, face to face. Heaven is our true home. Heaven's a wonderful thing. I think our homes here on earth give us a taste of what it means to be at home. Home is where we are the most comfortable. Home is where we are ourselves. Home is where we rest. Home is where we normally always want to be. We like to go visit places or have to go to work or have to go to school. But then there's something really wonderful and special about going home. And heaven is like that. It's home. It's our place of rest and comfort where we'll forever be with the Lord, forever be with believing loved ones, never to be separated again. And for the believer, we're on our way there. We're heading for home. And that feeling of excitement and comfort for going to our earthly homes can be the same and even more so in knowing that we're heading for our heavenly home. It's said that home is where the heart is. And God, that's what God wants for us. He wants our hearts focused on our home in heaven, setting our affection on things above so we might live in light of eternal things. This chapter shows that Paul greatly preferred the hope of going directly from the mortal body to the glorified eternal body at the rapture. But then we see in verse 8 that he was perfectly willing to go without a body to heaven because this meant being present with the Lord. When a believer's soul departs from their tabernacle or their tent at the time of physical death, they immediately go to be with the Lord in heaven. We are confident. We know. There is no doubt. Is the confidence that's expressed in this passage. We know that believing loved ones are present with the Lord. The people of God can be found in one of two places, in heaven or on the earth. None of them is in the grave or in any place between heaven and the earth, as is falsely taught. Believers are either at home in the body and absent from the Lord on the earth, or they are absent from the body and at home with the Lord in heaven. And by this passage of 2 Corinthians 5, 1-8, Paul teaches three possible states for the believer in those two places on earth and in heaven. 
Only two apply right now. The third one is yet future. First, there is the state of this present life on earth in this mortal body in which we are absent from the Lord. Second, there is the state of being absent from the body and between death and the coming of Christ in a disembodied state, but one in which the spirit and soul are consciously enjoying heaven in the presence of the Lord. And finally, there is the consummation of our salvation and our glorification. When we again are joined to our bodies, we received immortal bodies at the rapture of the church. We dwell eternally in the heavens in our glorified state at home with the Lord. And Paul teaches in this passage that the first state's good, the second state's better, and the third is best of all. And all of it's guaranteed by the indwelling spirit and by the faithfulness of God to his word and his promises. The souls of people will either spend eternity present with the Lord in heaven, or they'll spend eternity separated from the Lord in hell. To have the certain hope of heaven, you simply need to trust the gospel of the grace of God. The message of this gospel teaches that because of sin, death came. Romans 5.12 says, For by one man, or Adam, sin entered into the world in death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Sin has brought physical death to all, which is the separation of the soul and spirit from the body. Sin also brings spiritual death, spiritual separation from the spiritual life of God. And sin can bring eternal death, eternal separation from God and hell. Sin is the problem. And we're all sinners. And God will not allow sin in his presence in heaven. So we need our sins to be forgiven and paid for in order for us to have eternal life, be saved from our sins and be saved from eternal death. God cannot just overlook or ignore sin or sweep it under the rug. He will not compromise with sin. This would be contrary to his own nature and law. Before God could forgive sin, his justice had to be satisfied, and just payment had to be made for sin. And Scripture is clear that the problem of sin cannot be solved by any efforts of man. Nothing we can do could ever cancel out the problem of sin. Living a good life, doing good works, being religious, going to church every week, does all that does nothing in taking away sin and making us right with God or ready for heaven. The reason the Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven's glory to this earth to die on the cross was because we cannot save ourselves. He came to rescue us. He came to save us from our sins. We all need a Savior. And God's Word says that Christ Jesus willingly came into the world to save sinners. Sin demands the payment of death. And Christ came to die our death, to take our place and die for our sins. The Bible says of our Savior that He knew no sin. He was perfect. He was sinless. He was born sinless by his virgin birth, and he lived a perfect sinless life. But again, sin brings death. So it should beg the question in your mind, why and how did Christ die on the cross? And the gospel tells us that Christ died for our sins. 
Out of infinite love at the cross, Christ took our sins upon himself and he faced the fire of God's justice and the full judgment of God against our sins for us. And his payment and his sacrifice for sin was absolutely perfect. And the Father was absolutely satisfied. And three days later, Christ rose again, having completely defeated our enemies of sin and death. And because of Christ's victory over sin and death, we have hope, a living hope, hope of heaven, the hope of eternal life. To have that hope, we must receive the free gift of God's salvation by faith. God does not tell us to shape up first or clean up our lives first before He will save us. God does not ask us to behave and then believe. He tells us just believe. All who believe will be saved. He saves us just as we are, right where we're at, by grace alone. God offers salvation to all by grace as a free gift because Christ completely paid for it for us at the cross. And all we need to do is to just trust it. It's a simple thing to say Christ died for the sins of the world. It's quite another thing to say that Christ died for me, for my sin. But that's where salvation is at. That's where heaven is at. Faith in Christ dying for you. The Bible says that just believing that Christ died for my sins and that he rose again, God saves us by his grace through our faith and we have the free gift of God's salvation. And in that moment of time, when we make that decision to trust Christ, all our sins are gone and forgiven and we are ready for heaven. And then with Paul, we can say with confidence that to be absent from the body at our death, we will be present with the Lord in heaven forever. Thank you for watching Transformed by Grace. Next time we're going to be continuing on in 2 Corinthians 5, taking a look at the judgment seat of Christ. The Berean Bible Society was founded over 75 years ago for the sole purpose of helping believers understand and enjoy the Word of God. Our organization holds without apology to all the fundamentals of the Christian faith, and we believe that salvation is by grace through faith alone, based on the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also emphasize the importance of rightly dividing the word of truth and understanding God's word in light of the Pauline revelation for today. Paul is the apostle of the Gentiles, and it is our firm conviction that in his epistles alone, we have the doctrine, position, walk, and destiny for the church of the body of Christ during the present dispensation of grace. The mission of the Berean Bible Society is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ by proclaiming the whole counsel of God according to the revelation of the mystery. Our goals are to evangelize the lost, to educate the saved in rightly dividing the word of truth, to energize the life of a believer, and to encourage the local church. Please stop by for a visit or contact Berean Bible Society by mail at P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. 
We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.